Hey, this is Peter. Before we begin this episode, I wanted to let y'all know that Santa Ana Reformed, our church plant, begins services at 2 p.m. on June 12th at Davis Elementary School in downtown Santa Ana under the oversight of Oceanside United Reformed Church in Reverend Danny Hyde. Davis Elementary is at the foot of the DTSA, the downtown Santa Ana Orange County Water Tower, off Flower and 15th Streets. All our messages will be uploaded to the Santa Ana Reform YouTube page, and the audio will begin our new Sunday segments on this podcast. Join us as we begin with the series on the book of Galatians and reach Santa Ana for the gospel. Well, like Drew said, it gives it, it's allows, it gives it a chance to soak in and be part of your bones and you growing and nourishing. It goes back to just God knows what we need to be properly nourished. You know, we're not getting junk food yeah. every Sunday. We're getting his true nourishment through bean potatoes, the, the, the bread and wine, but also his word and all that yeah. stuff that the three marks, like we're, we're, and, and just the repetition is good for any of us, no matter how long you've uh, been going to church, but, you know, especially for looking at our covenantal children, Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Now. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today is a season four episode. It is the regulative principle of worship under the Reformed Church season, season four. So we're going to jump here into this episode with a surprise special guest today that we will reveal here in a few moments. And so um, as a reminder on some of the show notes, you'll see some links to resources that we talk about in this season as a whole, as well as this specific uh, episode on RPW. And then there's some information on how to find out how to be a bridge builder, which is just to financially support our show. We are uh, funded and supported by you guys to keep our reach going and growing as a podcast. And then there's some information on how to find a reformed church near you. So it's a local church finder of many of the uh, reformed church denominations. You can find uh, the closest ones near you based on your city and zip code. You can also find out how to get a hold of to, uh, to Peter with his new church. He's planting here uh, in about a month here in Orange County. Uh, Santa Ana, California. That's Santa Ana Reformed. And you can find out his email and uh, ask him any questions. And then uh, you can also find out how to get a hold of us and ask us questions and interact with us. As far as the podcast goes, we are very active on Twitter and uh, Instagram. And then we're, our email is guiltgracepod at gmail.com. And you can also watch these videos on YouTube. So we will also hear some words from our sponsors as well in about the middle part of the show. But if I haven't forgotten anything else, I guess we'll 
start with a conversation and welcome our special guest today, Drew Dill. Like, yeah, this is our this is our surprise uh, co-host. If you guys are like, why do you have to add another co-host after your first two co-hosts? We uh we 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 don't like any of them, so why are you adding another one? But yeah, Drew, uh, it's nice to have you on. Uh, who are you? Yeah, yeah that's uh, a. <laughs> the audience was a like profound, who is this profound guy? question. Who am yeah, I? our most famous um, guest that no one's heard of. Exactly. I was going to say maybe one of your guests, uh, not guests, maybe one of your listeners have have heard of me, and it's. Uh, most likely my wife, and that's about it. So, <laughs> I'm going to be new to, to 99.9% of, of everybody else, um, and I will, uh, and that's for good reason, because uh, I am quite literally um, just a, a layperson, a uh, friend of Nick's. Um, I've been a member of the same church that Nick is at, Trinity Presbyterian, for the last 10 years, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. Um, and I still don't know why I was invited on this show by both of you guys. So, uh, <laughs> well, let's bore everybody out, and, but I'm happy to do it. So I'm happy to be here. Let's uh, let's let's talk theology. No, yeah, well, that's great. Yeah, we we've had some you know to- totally reformed type of chat where we have cigars and scotch, and we're like sitting by a fire pit, and we've talked to friends and and uh, like, and I know just like you're usually there, and. Uh, when I'm when I'm going to those conversations and we've had the conversation of RPW come up a few times. Yeah, and, this is not a contentious topic at all in Reformed churches. So it's surprising uh, that you guys talk about it all the time. Yeah. But uh yeah, maybe like just tell the audience a little bit about yourself and um your background and, and you said that you've been going to Trinity OPC for 10 years. Where were you going before that? And any any in anything that kind of shed some light on your experience with the uh, RPW based on what you've experienced in the last 10 years versus what you've kind of seen it um, before? Yeah, sure. I, I became a uh, Christian at the age of, I would probably say 19 safe around that time. Um, you know, when I became a Christian, it was largely through the Calvary Chapel mm-hmm. uh, fold is kind of where I came into uh, Christianity as far as that's where I was listening to uh, uh, various people from that, that platform, uh, went to Calvary Chapel Bible College. Um, hmm. uh, shortly after I became a Christian for a semester, it's where I met my wife. Um, great, greatest uh, semester ever, right? Uh, Bible College. Uh, went there, found the wife, realized um, mission accomplished and didn't need to finish. So um, <laughs> from, from there, I... Uh, you know, went into uh, working, I got married, uh, you know, shortly after I met my wife, you know, two years after, three years after. Um, And the meanwhile, before I was married, I was going to a non-denominational church, uh, not Calvary Chapel. After I left Calvary Chapel Bible College, I I just went to the church that my sibling, uh, who's to this day, one of my best friends, um, who happens to be my brother, I went to the same church that he was at, at that time, uh, largely non-denominational um, you know, evangelical church, um, you know, bigger church in size. I don't know the number, but it has to probably be over a thousand, 2000 members. Um, it could be, could be off by 500 or so, but it's big, um, here in orange County and, uh, didn't know too much about what we all know here is, you know, we'll call reformed until my middle and older brother, uh, started giving me some authors to read. Um, along the way. And the thing that, you know, make this short, the thing that propelled me out actually of 
um, kind of the broader evangelical world was, was um, Jay Gresham Nation's book, Christianity and Liberalism. Oh, yeah. I read that book and was blown away um, because I was at a very conservative church, uh, politically speaking. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you were to put it on the political spectrum, it would be right. And I read the book and I realized there was far more um, indicatives or imperatives than there were indicatives, right? Commands, ethics. Um, and a lot less of who I was in Christ and having to do with his life, death, resurrection, and so forth. So um, it was it was shaking. I read it, and I, I really felt, you know, what he would have described as a Protestant liberal church was was uh, almost the same thing I was at, ironically, at a politically right right church. Um, you know, and I want to be charitable. There's, there's obviously nuance there, but, you know, that was something that stuck out to me. And, and then I found uh, Trinity Presbyterian and been there ever since, and... Um, Praise God for it every day. Yeah, it's, cool. It's a big deal. So, yeah, cool. Um, and before we get deeper into this conversation, uh, just some references and resources. Uh, R. Scott Clark has this book here. Yeah, covering, covering the, the confession. Yep. Yeah, this is great yeah. resource for our entire season. But there's a section about RPW here. Yeah, he's got a big <laughs> chapter on RPW Sabbath. Which some people may wonder, like, how do, what does the Sabbath have to do with RPW? It's if you read if you read that chapter, we'll talk a little bit about it in the episode. Um, but there's a lot of cohesion between those two things. Yeah, I would it's I would highly highly recommend. That's the number one book we're recommended, or number one book people ask us for is, mm-hmm. is Clark's book. That's that's the one that paradigm shifts, changes your changes your view. What would we do on our show without our Scott Clark? He is just. We'd pretty much rely. <laughs> what would a lot of reform people do without our Scott Clark? Yeah, that's. I'm not sure. We we'd have we'd have less interesting days. That's for sure. Yeah, you probably get less yeah. hate mail. That's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. You know what? Actually, it's a good thing that he probably he probably takes the brunt of the hate mail. He's he's yeah. that he's that guy right in front of. He's the fence that takes all the hate mail, and we get a little bit less. So if there was if there was no our Scott Clark, oh my gosh, yeah, maybe a tidal wave. He's your that's that's all uh that's all thank you dr clark because he does yeah. listen to this so thank you dr clark cowbell yeah i wish we had the cowbell sorry dr clark we will get it someday and when we yeah. mention <laughs> it yeah yeah this one is uh from guy waters how jesus runs the church it does address uh rpw in there and then yeah, we'll actually um, we'll have uh dr waters on i think it'll publish in a in two months um, on the government of the church, which is, it's kind of, it's kind of attached to this. So you can, you can think of the structure of the church, the hierarchy of the church. Uh, he's written a lot on this stuff too. So it's, he has, they don't, he has, doesn't have a specific chapter, but he does have, um, a specific section on this that I think you guys would enjoy a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, worshiping with the reformers, Karen Mag. Yep. Great book. Ellen, I did not know who the author was on that one. And then Dr. Clark, funny enough that we were talking about him last week, we're recording this May 17th. So last week, <coughs> Clark was telling us about these books and he, he really highly recommended that book. So I would, I would, um, I would encourage people to, to purchase that one. If also too, um, older book, Banner of Truth has a reprint and Heritage Books sells it. Um, but the Church of Christ from James Bannerman is a thousand page tome, mm. uh, but it's got a big section on RPW <clears throat> as well. Stuart Robinson, if I have the name right on the church, he has a pretty big section on it. Uh, Dr. Brian Estelle, one of my Old Testament professors, 
Uh, his latest book, Primary Mission of the Church, also has a section on this, and it's generally speaking, what is the church, uh, but also talks a little, <coughs> a little bit about RPW. Um, if I think of more, I'll, I'll talk about more. Oh, also the uh, People in Place, which is, I think, volume four of Michael Horton's four-volume Dogmatics. If you guys want to bang your head against the wall, against <laughs> the most academic thing you've ever read, like, read in your entire life, um and like if uh how do i say this right if if those who don't know the book of leviticus and they fall asleep in the middle of leviticus it's 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 kind of like that kind of it's it is so dense but my goodness people who know that book or like understand it like revelatory i'm still like kind of in the maze and <laughs> of like how do i read this book i would say it's the best book that i've read on the subject that, oh yeah i would say that and then for a simple one dg hart's reverence and yep. awe Oh yeah. Uh, is yeah. one that's was was really helpful as well. Yeah. And, uh, that's a PR book. We got that one a month or two ago. So DG Hart. Yeah, that's yeah. Those are these are really good. Um, yeah, these are really good. I think Hughes Alf and Old has a, a really good books on it. Yep. Um, so we'll we'll post all these in the show notes. I know people like when we do book recommendations. Yeah. Uh, so look at some of these if you guys want to dig dig a little bit deeper. And then a non-book thing to mention, shout out to Camden Busey from Reformed Forum. <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I, we, we love that show. And um, I did kind of listen to a few episodes there about uh, regulative principle of worship, just to kind of brush up on some things. And Camden's been doing this podcast game so much longer than us. That's true. And uh, he, he had some great guests on. He's, he's talked about this numerous times. So um he's always been great we've had him on the show here before it's been a probably like a year so we're due to bring him back we need to have him come back so yeah we probably will sometime soon i guess yeah yeah so we'll jump into this episode um let's just define some terms up front regulative principle of worship i mean i could i could make an attempt and like have you guys kind of nuance it or, or correct me or do a different definition but really i think it is what we we worship the way we're prescribed in worship in 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 scripture to worship god and the uh, the bible the word of god scripture sola scriptura is the application of sola scriptura um the you know god the holy spirit is the true author of the bible so he is giving us instruction of how he wants us to worship him and when we talk about you know um what kind of church we go to, we go to an ordinary church, you know, and we don't mean that in a way to um, water down what we do, but ordinary in a beautiful sense. We don't need to add worldly things to try to make our man-made efforts to make it look like we're worshiping God the way we want to worship him. No, we are doing it the way the Bible uh, prescribes us to do it. So, any other color to fill in there, guys? Yeah, I can start off on this real quick. Um, <clears throat> Drew, if you want to add some like personal elements or stuff you've read on this, uh, I think that'd be helpful. Um, but maybe simply, and I can add another term later on, so I won't add another term right now. But RPW, kind of its baseline form, is we only do in worship what the Bible tells us to do in worship. We don't add to anything. We don't guess as Again, we always bring him up because he's just got so many great quotes. As Dr. Clark said, it's there's always this famous phrase in churches that kind of degrades or like 
is this cascade away from RPW, <clears throat> which is, wouldn't it be cool if dot, 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 and then fill in the blank with whatever it is. Like we had fog machines in the middle of our service because people know it's great not to be able to see the stage when you have the worship artist or whoever it is up front. Um, or wouldn't it be cool to have like videos in the middle of, of service describing these things and putting up all these images and all that stuff. So yeah, baseline level, we only do in worship <clears throat> what the Lord in the scripture prescribes us to do. Yeah, and, and, and the way to think about it, too, is, is what the other side um, would be to somebody you would hold to. If they want to think it's called the normative principle, where they would say, you can do whatever God does not forbid. And we would say, no, 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 he has to explicitly command it. And the reason has to do, I think Calvin wrote an article or an uh, essay on the necessity of reforming the church, which probably formed me more than oh, yeah. any other um I would recommend it to everybody who wants to really understand this. And Calvin writes his treatise um, on why they had to start the Reformation. And everyone would think that all he would do is wax on justification by faith alone. That's definitely there. But to Calvin, the soul of it, what he would call the soul, is this doctrine of worship um, that we only do what God commands. And Calvin waxes onto this and he says the reason for that is because it's um, because our hearts are idol factories. That's the context where that, that quote, I believe, comes from. Um, and we want to worship God in our own inventions. You can think of like, right, when they worship the golden calf in Exodus, um, they were worshiping Yahweh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But they, they weren't were worshiping or like, like some pagan idol. It wasn't, wasn't a yeah. pagan God. Yeah. 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 Yeah, but they didn't do it in the way that God commanded, and God's not so happy. And so we would say there's a greater and lesser in, in the New Testament that intensifies. It doesn't get relaxed, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but but I I I, uh, I think the the idea of what you just said, where it's simple that God only we can only do what He prescribes. Uh, also, the reason for that is because ministers are making their congregants do it. Mm -hmm. And so the same reason why your minister finding your conscience, commandments, yep. finding your conscience, it's very tied to that, right? Because we'll Cal Calvin call it will worship in the broader sense of Christian life, right? Under liberty of conscience. And then the narrower sense uh, will worship in the worship service. Pastors are not authorized by the Lord Jesus to uh, bind consciences of their parishioners, whether in the word or in the service or even outside of the service. And I think that's a kind of a helpful way to see that this can be broader than just our particular service. This yeah. is rooted to so many other things. So to, what yeah, that's, yeah, I think that's really, really helpful for those who are listening, who, I mean, a majority of our audience is not kind of reformed Presbyterian. A majority of our audience is either kind of confessional Baptist or particular Baptist or broadly evangelical. We have some that are reformed and Presbyterian. Um, so this may be either new categories for them, or maybe not have thought about it this way, particularly, where when the minister's up there, I think it's it's easy for me when I when I preach, when I lead this, not to really think about this, <clears throat> but when you're sitting in the pews, you're sitting in the chairs, whatever it may be, generally speaking, you're not going to, unless maybe you're a little bit better theologically trained or you're more prone to like skepticism or asking more questions, which could be really good. Um, but generally speaking, whatever the pastor says or however the worship is, is ordered is how you think God wants it to go. If the pastor says this, then you're going to think, yeah, I think this is what God wants mm. me to do. So if, if the pastor, I think that puts a huge burden on the pastor um, and not saying that the RPW is not a thing that lay people should be thinking about, absolutely should be, 
but my goodness, does that put a big old burden of pressure on the person who's leading the service to say, whatever I say, basically speaking, broadly speaking, they're going to take hook, line, and sinker and not, not think too much about it outside of what I tell them. Yeah. Yeah. This goes back to the reminder. This is Jesus's church. This is Jesus's church. Yeah. This is not pastor fill in the blanks church. Um, and that's what I really appreciate about the reformed church and our Presbyterian church is that there is accountability and knowing that um, is a governance to it too. And we'll talk more about that when I believe we have another episode and a guest talking about the governance, I think with waters, but knowing, I think there's a tendency, like, again, idol, our hearts are idol factories, like Calvin said, and like you said, you mentioned Drew and uh, there's a tendency, and I'm not saying this is like every single non-denominational church, but there's a tendency when you're non-denominational and it's just that pastor up there and they kind of start feeling that this is their church after a while. Mm -hmm. And then they can run their own version of RPW um, and start adding things. You know what I've found, I, I realized the church in numbers grows more if I do this or I emphasize this or I yeah. implement this. Um, it doesn't, Guys, it doesn't need to be a talent show. It doesn't need to be a feel-good concert. And it may not be out of like <laughs> bad, bad motives. It may not be right. out of like, I'm going to lead them away from the truth. It could just yeah. be they read, read an article. They were part of some movement before this. And they're like, oh, this, we got a lot of engagement when we did this. Or people, uh, people, yeah. it could even be they learned a lot when they, when we did this um, in the context of the worship service. So yeah. it's, I, I don't think it's necessarily out of like bad intentions or bad motives. It could no. just be like you import something from outside, you place it inside because it works really well outside of this service, even though yeah. uh, we may not have some of the categories to say, um, well, what is, what does the word tell me to do? Uh, what did the psalmist do? What was the temple? Like I'm sure we're talking about like the temple, their service yeah. and how sacrifices were ordained uh, with the Levites did, <laughs> did all that stuff. You could argue that the intentions of people who, who don't, you know, see the need for the RPW, again, which is just simply that we only do what God commands, which to a lot of ministers, a lot of parishioners may seem boring because it's simple. And I'm sure we'll talk about those elements, but I, I could even, I could argue that I think that a lot of these, a lot of people who don't hold to it, whether it's out of ignorance or whether it's out of intentionality, would would hold to it for really good intentions because they're trying to grow their size it's really hard to grow your church when when you're allowing god to speak through a fallible minister in preaching getting babies wet and sprinkling or immersion if you're a baptist right through water giving them a bath and it's hard to grow your church with giving them wine and and bread and it's like okay if that, there's your rpw and there's some, obviously some other meat that we can fill yeah. in but it's like, okay, so uh, this is it. And especially with the first and second great awakening and with yep. American, American churches in particular, not having a state church and people saying you're going to this church and your tithe is set, sure. ministers wanting to grow the church for evangelism. And then in addition to that, uh, now you got to go find them. And there's a, it doesn't seem, it doesn't seem coincidental to me that most of the revivalistic tendency is you have ministers who are less uh, experts in the word of God, who are seminarians and more ministers who are charismatic. 
And what you see there is getting away from RPW and getting away and coming to worshiping God through our own means via excitement, via entertainment. Um, but look, God's doing something here. The church is growing and it's exciting. And I think a lot of people would look at our churches and say, is he really there? Um, is God really there? And I'd say just as much as he was in the manger, um, he always is in the low places. And so, yeah, sorry, I said a yeah. lot there. No, let no, me, that's good. I, I think that opens up and Nick even. So this is my very first opportunity to ask two people who spend their life in the pews, um, which I think is a perspective that our listeners would benefit from immensely. Um, versus two like scholars or pastors or whatever. I mean, as good as that may be, I think it's really helpful to have people who look towards the pulpit, not from the pulpit. Um, so, in so what Nick and you bring up, Drew, I think is is helpful. So maybe I'll ask you guys a question. <clears throat> Again, I don't normally ask questions, but I think it's really helpful for this. When we talk about RPW and that God tells us how to do something, I'm assuming your average person, like you said, either says that sounds boring or that sounds way too strict. How can you possibly follow something versus kind of like this free form or free worship? Um, maybe like, do you feel the spirit when you're in the service or does this feel too restrictive for you guys? Don't you want to be like expressing yourself a little bit more? So like, how would you guys respond to somebody who says that sounds way too strict and that sounds way too boring. I couldn't stand that for an hour and 15 every Sunday. I think, I think what's beautiful about, again, about the reformed church is the ordinary to it in the way that it's clear we are worshiping the way he tells us in scripture and so i think if there was anything else added bells and whistles or whatever you want to call from the outside the church and throwing it in there i think if anything it it i wouldn't even say it would make it more exciting i think it would just cloud it in a weird way it would it would make more noise than needs to be there. I think there's more cl beautiful clarity. I like the, the simplicity of hearing the word, seeing a baby baptized, having my child baptized, um, taking the bread and wine, singing uh, out of the Psalter hymnal and having like more of a simplistic music um maybe drew could fill in even more obviously but that's that's my take i like more of a raw like just straight out of the bible traditional worship okay okay so yeah. you say like adding all the other stuff is clouding what the necessity should be and it takes your focus away from where you think the priority should lie yeah there's the rest of the week that you can get go to a rock concert or you know, uh, do whatever, get entertained in a different way. This isn't meant for entertaining. This is meant for worshiping our holy God. Okay, cool. Yeah, Drew, what would you say? Yeah, I, I think the, the paradigm shifted for me hugely. I mean, I've been going to the same church for 10 years, largely because my theology on this thing has changed or this subject has changed, which was when I asked the question of, what is going on in what we would call the means of grace? What's going on in preaching? What is God doing in preaching? What is he doing in baptism? And what is he doing in the Lord's Supper? When I understood that these are not witnesses, right, to grace, that they're not mere symbols, but they're actually means that the Holy Spirit is there, present, doing stuff, well, that's changing. That changes your paradigm as a, as a parishioner. And so when I asked myself, with like the Heidelberg Catechism asked it really well in Heidelberg 65, it says, hey, where does faith come from? 
And the answer is that faith comes from preaching, right? Hearing the gospel, right? Love it, yeah. By the way, hearing the gospel by preaching, um, and God confirms it by use of the sacrament. So the Holy Spirit take creates faith in our hearts by the preaching of the Holy Gospel and confirms it by use of the sacraments. Uh, I love, I love it a little bit. Language, there, but, this is music to my ears. But, but yeah, but but well, but it's so okay. But think about what it's saying. It's saying yeah. that this is where God gives you the goods, and if we understand the Christian life not as a conversion uh, experience once and for all, yeah. but if we understand the Christian life as I was converted when I became a Christian and every Sunday, God is increasing faith in my heart of unbelief through the Holy spirit and through, uh, through the preaching of the gospel, the Holy spirit's using that to confirm uh, my faith and to grow my faith in Christ. Yeah. Well, that's sure. That sure changes things. It It's basically this. I, I, I could put it to you this way. It changed because I basically realized that every Sunday I'm meeting God truly and really. Um, and, and so when Philip asked Jesus and he says, Hey, you know, can I see the father? And he's like, Hey, you haven't been with me so long that you haven't seen, you know, you're seeing the father when you see me. I think when parishioners say, I want to go see God, God could say the same thing to where Christ is saying, you've been with me every single Lord's day. Every time you heard me preach, I was with you in a very special way. Every time you tasted the bread, your sins were so surely forgiven. I was using that and I was there in a special way. I think that's the very same type of paradigm to where we look at the means of grace and we have to realize that God is there in a very special way. And we know that why, because he promised, yep. he promised that he's there game changer. Um, so, you know, I go to meet God at Trinity because he promises to be there at Sunday at nine 30. Um, I love in it. A yeah. Special way. No, that's, I think that's huge for, yeah. Huge for our listeners who are, who are, who are wrestling. I think a lot of people, if you ask them, we've had a, an episode on this. Uh, so when uh, yesterday it came out, but we recorded it about a month ago. Um, the marks of a church. And so if, if you ask your average person, what is a church and what are you supposed to do there? I think most people would say, well, that's, it's community of people who believe the same stuff and worship. Like, well, couldn't you do that on, like, couldn't you do that on a Wednesday? Like this, how's that different than like a Bible study on a Thursday or Tuesday or a rock concert, or whatever it is, versus what you're saying, let's, we have to clean up our understanding of what the church is and who meets us there and what he tells us to do in order to meet him there. Uh, which I'm sure we'll talk more about kind of Old Testament, New Testament underpinnings of this as well, because this is not a new concept. It's not just like reformers in the 16th century where John Calvin, Martin Luther, all these guys are like, you know what? We're going to make up something new and it's called the RPW and everyone's going to follow this and it's going to be great. And this started in 1519 with Luther, which this has a long history, both um, apostolically in the early church, but also in the Old Testament as well. But I'm sure we'll get into that stuff too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I think that it's so important to remember, and we've said this before, is that the reformers are not reinventing any wheel. They're just pointing back to the wheel where it <laughs> came from. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's a reminder there that there's a debate, you know, and I remember, Drew, you mentioned Calvin brought it up too with RPW, but that despite debates, um, this was, this RPW was taught by the reformers mm-hmm. and cause they were going back to the patristic, you know, sources and everything. Um, but the term RPW, yeah, we could, we, you can't say that really didn't come into an actual definition term until much later, maybe on with John Murray in 1946, probably with popularized the term. But if we look at actual, even examples in the Bible, cause this 
this could be, you know, um, based on good and necessary consequence, right? Looking at the Bible as a whole and understanding what to take away uh, based on scripture, what it's saying. And a good example of that is, you know, the Trinity, you know, we can all agree, even Anabaptists would agree that uh, good and necessary consequences on scripture, there is a Trinity. Um, so just the same way we're talking about RPW is sola scriptura. You know, it is from the Bible. And we look at examples in the Old Testament of RPW and God told Moses how to worship, right? Mm-hmm. Temples and tabernacles. If you guys read any parts of those in the Bible, they're, they're very specific. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Are you kidding me? Like it's, it's almost comical yeah. how specific it is on measurements and what to put in them. And yes, they reflected the garden of Eden and there, there was a lot of redemptive story to be implemented into that because God that's God's presence on earth in the temples and tabernacles of the Old Testament, as well as there's very specific instructions to Noah on how to build the ark. Oh, yeah, Noah. Yeah, I know what you're yeah. saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, what if Noah decided he's, oh, those are great instructions. What, I, you know what? I think it'd be really cool <laughs> if I set up like, you know, I want to like, you know, I want to go, um, crabbing. I'm going to set up a section to go crabbing and I'm going to have a jet ski area and like, you know, he's if they existed back then, I'm just saying like he stuck (laughs) to the plan. Noah stuck to the plan. Moses stuck to the plan. Um, and so there's a lot of, I don't know if you guys want to fill in any more of that. Um, Even, you know what, uh, you know what, this is, I think this freaks people out until you know the purpose of this, but you know what happens? People did not follow the plan in the old Testament. Right. Yeah. Is they were either stoned stoned or killed on the spot. Yeah. Which, yeah, it's, I think for our modern ears or modern eyes, we read that and they're like, no, this is, that's a little bit too much, God. Surely he can't care that much about specifically what they're doing. But it's, it's, if they don't worship him precisely as, as he has prescribed, it serves two purposes, generally speaking. Because I think people get the Levites mixed up all the time. The Levites weren't there to make sacrifices. That's the Aaronites. Aaronites make sacrifices. What the Levites do is they guard and protect, which is the same thing Adam and Eve do in the garden, or Adam does in the garden. Um, they're trying to keep basically the holiness from inside the temple from consuming unholiness outside the temple. And so when people do worship wrong, build wrong, add something else to it, that means some part of the temple structure, some part of the tabernacle has a crack. And the crack will expose holiness to unholiness. And if you have that, that means... Israel's wiped out because they have no purity. They have no, they have no sinlessness. So when he does that, when he kills on the spot, it means he's effectively speaking this, we can go more into this much longer conversation, Um, but he's, he's sparing the community for a single person to say like, you don't want to know what happens when my holiness breaks out of this temple and consumes all of Israel. So it's, it's a, it's a big deal because very really effectively lives are at stake if they don't do it right oh yeah yeah well the the i think the pushback we would get here is they'd say okay but the new testament it seems a lot more uh free huh. when yeah. Jesus says, <laughs> talk, to, you know, talk to paul <laughs> yeah well when they'd say what does worshiping spirit and truth look yeah. like yep. um uh and in in those types of texts to where you know, it's no longer on this mountain um, yep. as it was 
John Ford, the yep. former times. And so, so certain th- things have changed with the theocracy. Yep. But we would, I think, all argue is that what hasn't changed is that, no, God has just prescribed simpler worship in yep. the New Testament. Mm-hmm. And the level of that intensity, though, is more intensified. We would yep. probably use a Hebrews 12 mm-hmm. to say we don't come to the foot of a mountain that can be touched. We're coming to the actual heavenly realms in the New Testament worship. And so the principle of taking what the apostles and what Jesus says of worship uh, uh, seriously in the New Testament, we want to almost take it more seriously because they're using a lesser than greater in, in Hebrews 12 of Old Testament worship to New Testament worship. Um, but I think addressing maybe the spirit mm-hmm. and truth question uh, uh, verse would probably be helpful. I don't mean to, yeah. that's one that I always hear. Uh, yeah. From, yeah. Yeah. What I think would be helpful for those who for here. Yeah. It's, when Jesus is talking to the woman at the well and she's asked him a worship question, um, what mountain will we worship on? And so Jesus responds to her and, and he, right in the middle of the conversation, he talks to her about worshiping in spirit and truth. It probably better rendered, although the article is not there. I don't think the article is there in the Greek, um, but probably best rendered is he's talking to her to not just to worship generally speaking in spiritual and true ways, but he is telling her to worship in the spirit. So in the spirit, in the capital S spirits, in the truth, who he's talking about himself. So he's yeah. the, you, you worship in the spirits and the truth. You, you worship the true one. You worship the one whom worship is due to, uh, which I think uh, some of our English translations are as faithful as they possibly can be. But if we don't see what Paul or what Jesus is referring to very specifically, this is, this is a worship done in something much as uh, much as the apostle John in revelation one, talks about, he was in the spirits on the Lord's day and John one, nine, as he is receiving these revelations on um, who Christ is and what he's done and how that affects our life from first resurrection to the next resurrection or to the next, or from the first advent to the next advent. Yeah. Um, so that's, I think it's helpful for people to see some of this in that light where, and it's not just a translation issue. It's, it's the, he's referring back to old Testament worship practices into new Testament worship practices. Um, and with the new Testament authors there, I think the best way um, one of my professors has described this and kind of the easiest way for me to describe it to the listeners. It's is old Testament worship. Yes. Theocratic. Yes. The church and state were blended in the old Testament. Um, and that was to provide a picture of what heaven would look like when there will be no separation <coughs> in the heavenly tabernacle and the polis or the city of heaven. So everything we blended in heaven, much the same as we see in Israel in the Old Testament. So we see a picture yeah. of it in the Old Testament. Um, but the New Testament authors, they're, they're, they're receiving pressure from the Old Testament. They're receiving pressure, um, very really, literally speaking, from the tabernacle system, from the temple system where this is how worship was prescribed and this pressure upon the apostles, because they're seeing this probably in Jerusalem. They're probably seeing the same uh, sacrificial system being done. Pharisees are part of the temple system. So they're seeing sacrifices, they're smelling sacrifices. So they're not making these worship principles and practices, New Testament and Corinthians and first Timothy and Titus. They're not making these worship principles in a vacuum. They're saying, we know the old Testament system um, well, we see it, we've read it, uh, and this this provides a context for how we we set up New Testament worship as well. Yeah, and then speaking of the New Testament, 
we, uh, based on, you know, churches failing to do RPW correctly, that's, this has happened out right out of the gate. I mean, the apostle Paul Mm -hmm. being the, um, apostle, uh, preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. And, and I mean, look at, look at his letters he's writing to the Galatians and the Corinthians. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of the meat of what Paul talks about is, you know, he's, he's talking to churches Mm -hmm. who are attempting to worship. And I mean, in a nutshell, doing it incorrectly. Hey guys, a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Reformation Heritage Books. We've partnered with them and they've partnered with us to try to push a couple of their uh, published books. One of them is the 10 volume series of William Perkins, who a 16th and 17th century reformed writer, wrote commentaries on Galatians, Revelation, uh, wrote The Golden Chain of Salvation, some incredibly influential works in reformed theology. Also, the Family Worship Study Guide, which gives you quick little snippets, about a paragraph each of all 66 books of the Bible, each chapter in those books. So it's really good for family worship. And also they have basically every major publisher uh, in the world. They sell their books at cheaper than Amazon uh, sells them. So if you guys go to heritagebooks.org, drop a line that Guilt, Grace, Gratitude sent you and purchase their books. We'd be grateful and you're supporting a great cause. Yeah, and RHB Books is the largest confessionally reformed publisher in the world, and they publish historical and modern works on a consistent basis. So you can find them on Twitter at RHB underscore books and on Instagram, Reformation Heritage Books. Yep. So go on over there, get these books. There's so much good stuff coming out, and hopefully this is good. Hey guys, thanks to our uh, really awesome friends at IVP, both IVP Press and then their academic imprint, IVP Academic. If you guys go to their sites and put in GGG22, you will get 30% off and free shipping on on these four series, Explorations in Theology, Studies in Christian Doctrine and Scripture, New Studies in Biblical Theology, and Essential Studies in Biblical Theology, and any book we've had from one of those two imprints on our book clubs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is the IVP press, any book club we've done with them. And uh, for example, we did the E we've done some of the ESBT series and that's kind of a more of a concise version off of the NSBT series. Uh, And uh, Ben Glad has been kind of orchestrating the ESBT series. It's just phenomenal. Um, very enriching and edifying. So I, I would say go ahead and try to get every single book in that series alone. Yeah. Is that so you <laughs> get the whole set for thirty percent off with free shipping? Which that's yeah. that's, a, that's, a, that's a pretty dime off of your your total thing. Um, but these I mean, these are volumes like in the NSPT series, like Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of Laura from Michael Morales, mm-hmm. The Dominion Dynasty, Temple and the Church's Mission. So all these like really big books that you guys know of. Uh, if you guys look through our catalog on book club and anyone that's through IVP, you guys get this off. I know Nick's really yep. been enjoying the ESPT series. I would say it's just a, it's a shorter volume. Yeah. It's, more, it's concise. more concise. Yeah. Uh, gets right to, it's a little bit more popular lay level read. Yeah. So there's like four different levels. There's one that's an easier read, a slightly more academic, a really academic and like a highly, highly academic read. So yeah. again, any one of those copies that you guys want to get any series, any portion of it. Anything that you guys want to get 30% off and free shipping. If you guys use the code GGG 
22. So happy shopping. Yeah, I think, um, Drew, if you want to add on to this as well, but just a quick little note, what, what I think is, is fascinating as, and as people hear this and as, hopefully they're going to a church that is describing this and preaching this, but especially with Paul's epistles, and I'll be preaching Galatians over summers. I've been knee deep on researching Galatians and I've looked at Corinthians and, and most of the other ones. Um, but a lot of Paul's epistles, you look at them, you can basically place them on the timeline of the book of Acts and the travels of Paul, Luke, Peter in the book of Acts, generally speaking, follows his epistles. And so it does like his epistles do kind of look like commentaries on the book of Acts. Uh, and I'm, I'm teaching at a, a church retreat this weekend um, where what Paul does in the epistles is not too dissimilar from what the prophets do to the Pentateuch, what the prophets do to Deuteronomy. They're telling Israel, hey, this is how worship is done. This is the covenant standard in Israel that God has given you. You're failing all over the place. <laughs> you guys were there. You guys saw this stuff. And Paul is doing basically the same stuff. Uh, and then also, where are they worshiping in the book of Acts? Either at houses or in temples. It's either one of those two. It's either like private houses they're working, or like defunct temples or synagogues. Um so they're, they're in the thick of this service. And so it's, it's not like when they're prescribing worship, or it's not like when they're worshiping, they're probably worshiping, relatively speaking, to what they knew from the Old Testament covenantal system. It's, it's not like they were given anything new between um, the book of Levit Leviticus or Exodus into the Corinthian church. They're probably like, this is how we've done it for a long time. I haven't give, been given any new revelation. And then Paul sends him a letter and says, yeah, your worship kind of stinks because it's not what God, God has told you to do. Yeah, he definitely didn't tell you to get drunk uh, at, at <laughs> yeah. church. Yeah, to take a sure. communion wine and go take it home and, and get hot or yeah, get drunk. Yeah, no, 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 no doubt at all. I It seems too that, you know, all of the things that you, you know, so when we, go, when we go take this a step back and we say, okay, what are the, you know, elements and circumstances we should probably make that distinction at some point with the rpw yeah, yeah. right Do it, yeah <clears throat> and so a circumstance is you know simply a time and a place um where you worship what time you guys meet yep. um what language you guys want to do it in um <clears throat> you know for us english obviously and so forth um those are circumstances which are pretty much you know up to the general light of nature and wisdom of the elders and and the uh, leadership of that church. Yep. And then there are elements which, you know, we can talk about the means of grace, but there are other elements in there, um, such as invoking uh, God's name, uh, calling upon his name to uh, join that worship service, mm -hmm. because he says that whoever calls upon my name, um, uh, he will not forsake. And so we invoke God's presence in the service, the pastor uh, doing it. And that's one of them invocation. I'm doing this from the hip. So if I miss one, please jump in, but you have um, a reading of the law, which would yep. be the imperatives, which could be the 10 commandments, or it can be any imperative of an epistle such as Galatians five, for example, um, and so forth uh, to where Paul is telling us, you know, uh, what the law is and what we ought to be doing. And then there should be an absolution or a declaration of pardon the minister is assuring you that you trusted in Christ, um, that your sins have been forgiven, and that there's that assurance and declaration of pardon. And, yep. and then there should be a long pastoral prayer 
um, which I think would be really interesting uh, to to talk about how all these things work because the pastoral prayer in general, and obviously the the reading of the law and the the declaration of pardon are vital, but a pastoral prayer, man, tell you, tell you what, your pastor's up there praying about widows and orphans every Sunday um, and refugees and, you know, your local politicians, red or uh, blue, whoever it may be, um, is surely quite a beautiful thing and an impactful thing that gets in your bones over a long period of time. Uh, but, uh, you know, giving, I'll finish it, giving, uh, preaching and benediction in the Lord's Supper and baptisms when they're appropriate. I may have forgotten something, but oh, yeah. I think those would all be the major element of some sort, however they fit into us. I was actually following our order of worship from last <laughs> Sunday. What would be helpful to you is um, next week, so not when we're recording, actually, Dad, technically we're recording this next week about this time, we'll have Adriel Sanchez, uh, North Park Presbyterian, but also Core Christianity, um, Whitehorse Inn and stuff, who I mean, I think is a top-rate liturgist. And liturgy, for those who don't know, is just an order of worship. It's, it's, what, it's how we set up our worship, which is what Drew's been talking about, um, which I think fairly naturally flows from the regulative principle of worship. If we only do what Scripture tells us to do, Scripture has kind of a structure on how our worship services should be conducted. And if you're thinking like, where does he get all this, all these, uh, these, these terms from it's, you get invocations from the book of Psalms. You get it from, from the songs of ascent from Psalm 120 to 135 or 134. You get it from a couple others. You get it from the temple worship. You get it from Nehemiah. Uh, when Nehemiah tells him to stand up and listen to the law being, being preached. Um, you get the, the law where we, we know kind of this warp and woof, this, this uh, interchange between God and his people, that something's required of them, they fail, and we have to respond to, to what that is, and then the pronouncement of the gospel. And especially, you think some of the prayers, I think especially too with the RPW, um, that, I, that, that kind of shocked me coming into the church, just how long and how often we pray, uh, which I was not prepared for that coming in from the evangelical church, which maybe our prayers lasted 30 seconds. Uh, and if we prayed for our civil authorities, that was during the election season, not during the, uh, not every single Sunday, which Paul tells us to do in his writing to Timothy. He tells us, tells Timothy to pray for those who are your governors, pray for those who are over you. Um, so we're, these elements are things that we've been told to do in the word specifically. So that the, the Bible tells us, or that Paul will tell us these things that we see this in the temple structure. We see this in the book Psalms as, as Israel's kind of song book. Uh, and then me personally, I think that the church should be using too. And I think all of us, we, we sing the Psalms in our churches um, as well. And we'll have an episode on this, on what we sing in the Reformed Church and why we sing it. Um, and then circumstances, you don't find these things in the Bible necessarily. You don't, you don't see something in the Bible that says, please worship at 10 a.m. on Sundays at this place with this seating arrangement, with, with the AC on at this temperature. Um, so it's... Yeah, the things that are in the Bible that the Bible tells us to do um, are elements of service. And the things the Bible does not cover doesn't mean they're not important. Just means, like Drew said, it's up to the light of nature, which means an agreement among the people who are here around on when to do it, how to do it, where to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And no, go ahead, Nick. Oh, no, I was going to say something that I really liked when I first started going to Reform Church. Um, is just the there is a there's an uh, a, a relational or it's a relationship act between God and His people. So 
Yeah, the, uh, the fancy term, the dialogical principle, which just mm -hmm. means it, you, you can hear the word in it, dialogue. It's God speaking, we speak back to him. Yeah, there we go. So you had the fancy academic way of saying it. <laughs> I, I always want people to come out of our episode. I like, like it. At least I learned one thing in that episode. Yeah. And I learned dialogical, which means dialogue. So this goes back to one of Peter's first questions too, is I love the RPW for the fact that we are truly interacting with our creator in a, in a relationship. And this is based on what we are as God's people. This is a relationship. And so Drew, you lined it out really well. I mean, you've been going to this church for a while, so you, you, you know, this really well and um, the breakdown and um, it's easy to remember because we stick to the structure every week. We don't buckle. We don't change things up. Oh, it's Mother's Day. Let's throw everything out and let's change. Let's do a completely different service. Yeah. You know, um, you know, even with uh, some of the, the holy times of the year with Easter and Christmas, we see more of a the normal, ordinary structure of worship. We don't change things up just because it's a different Lord's Day part of the calendar year. And so something too, that I really like is we stick to the creeds too, that are, that are uh, small C Catholic. I mean, we're just, these are beautiful creeds, the apostles creed and the Nicene creed and uh, Athanasian's creed. And I just love how we respond to those as a church out loud. So yeah. I, don't I know just wanted to underline that back and forth between the, the the preacher is speaking God's word is God speaking to us and then us praying and singing to him and saying the creeds him back. And then the, even the act of the sacraments is him, you know, speaking to us in a way tangibly. So, yeah, ahead, Drew, I don't know if you're going to respond to this. Um, if you were, then just keep going. If not, just added this to whatever you're going to say. Um, and Nick too, after um, with, with kind of like that every single week for years that you're doing the same thing over and over and over again, maybe the same question is like, doesn't that get boring? Like how, like, why would you not want to, if, if it's mother's day to have a, a day devoted to moms? Cause moms are pretty cool. So why not, why not do that? Or father's day, or why not change it up for specific holidays? Why do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again? Yeah. And I think the short, the snarky answer is, well, cause God told us um, <laughs> that's the snarky answer. right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, and then the practical response is well is it boring it can be if we're being honest um but most good things in life are mundane and sometimes difficult to get through but that's not because god's not exciting it's because we're dull of heart hmm. and and so the so yes you're going to go in, in in dry spells in in really exciting spells but i think that if we're really clear that the theology of what's happening right is god is here speaking uh, the Westminster Catechism, larger catechism, has a question on how you should prepare for the Lord's Day, um, and they love giving rules, uh, but they're a lot, they're very good, um, but one of them, it talks about preparing your heart um, for the worship service the day before, and I'm paraphrasing because there, there's a lot of qualifications it's going to want to make, but I think it is just helpful the night before preparing yourself to hear God's word, uh, to ask God to receive it with faith um, and repentance, and uh, that it would be fruitful for our week so that we go about loving our neighbors and serving them with gratitude. Um, and so, but yeah, the answer is, is sure. Yeah. There's times where it's boring and that doesn't mean that it's not effective. Uh, 
Um, God does most of his good work when we realize, uh, when we have no idea that he's there, you know, he does it through some pretty ordinary stuff. That's the redemptive motif in all of history on this earth. Nobody knows. You can think of Luther's theology of glory, um, compared to theology of cross. I do think with the regulative principle of worship, there is a theology of the cross, Mm -hmm. um, that's being had here is that we're worshiping God as he's exposed or, or, uh, uh, mandated. It's not sexy. It's not um, super exciting from the external understanding. Yep. But, um, but God knows what He's doing, and He knows how to feed His sheep. And um, and so we gotta we have to trust that He's faithful and that He knows what He's doing, and to not deviate from those things. Because boy, you know He wants to save us from ideas. Um, <laughs> yeah. ideas save yep. it. I, I will say this: when you have a uh, uh, when you're at a church who sticks to a really consistent and thoughtful liturgy, right? The one that I laid out is the one that our, our church, you know, roughly, um, I may have missed a step or two, but it's the one that Trinity holds to. Um, and there's obviously freedom in how that's structured. Uh, mm-hmm. Like you said, Adriel Sanchez is a master of uh, liturg- uh, a liturgist. Um, and so his is going to look a little bit different than ours. The idea, though, is that these elements are there. There's freedom mm-hmm. in how the pastor, right, uh, orders them and so forth. But the key is, is that when you're at a church, you're committed, right? You're a member of that church. And when you do this Sunday in and Sunday out, the benefit for you and your kids is the mm-hmm. stuff gets in your bones. When you, mm-hmm. it. Um, you, you confess the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed of the Saints, you know, 52 Sundays out of the year, multiplied by the years of duration of your life. On your deathbed, I'm sure that that will be a comfort to mm-hmm. the parishioner of remembering the Nicene Creed and remembering all those absolutions where somebody outside of them said, hey, your sins are forgiven um, to take us out of who we are in Adam and to relocate us and who we are in, in Jesus, remind us of the righteousness given to us. We need a minister to do that. And, and so having that type of service, I think the, the benefits are the long game. There's not going to be a lot of immediate gratification out of it, but God you know, all of the images of discipleship were organic. Trees don't grow in a weekend, man. So let that thing marinate for 10 years and you're going to see some benefits that you're going to look back and be blown away with because God's faithful. Said a lot there. I apologize. No, that's, I think, yeah, what you just said, I, I, I think that is, it's, it's the practical aspect. I think of RPW that's the less theological, um, the formation aspects of the regulative principle of worship we do the same thing that god has told you to do over and over again i mean israel had the tabernacle for hundreds of years and the temple for a couple hundred years so they had this for a long time the same thing over and over and over and over again and i'm sure by the end the kids had as much of the pentateuch as you possibly have memorized memorized so they read it over and over and over again they heard the story of Exodus. They heard Adam and Eve. They heard all these things over and over again. So it's like you said, it's in their bones by the time they're 50, 60 years old. So when they're at their deathbed, 60 to 80 years old, whatever it be, they've, they've heard this thousands of times yeah. versus, uh, and again, we're not trying to rail on the evangelical church, but just, it's the only thing really you have to compare against. Um, you generally speak, you, you don't get this. What you are formed by is your, is your music generally. Sometimes you're, you're preaching. Uh, but you you kind of get this me 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 music, so you're you're kind of thinking me 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 your whole life, and you wonder has someone come outside of me to do anything about this stuff, to figure out what's wrong with my heart, what's wrong with my affections, what's wrong with all these things, versus yeah it seems repetitive in the front ends, um, but my goodness does it form you years after year after year, 
And so I don't know, Nick, you like you're the one who's kind of relatively new to the reformed church, but like even in your even in your year and a half being under the same liturgy, being under the same preaching, under the same absolution, how like how has this concept of reformed or the regular principle of worship, how has this formed you, your family, your kid, all that stuff? Well, like Drew said, it gives it it's allows it gives it a chance to soak in and be part of your bones and you growing and nourishing. It goes back to just God knows what we need to be properly nourished. You know, we're not getting junk food yeah. every Sunday. We're getting his true nourishment through bean potatoes, the, the, the bread and wine, but also his word and all that yeah. stuff The the three marks, like we're, we're, and, and just the repetition is good for any of us, no matter how long you've uh, been going to church, but, you know, especially for looking at our covenantal children, you know, and they, they, they're hearing this, they're going to, they're going to grow and learn this quicker than anywhere else. And I'd say in a short period of time, staying consistent at a reformed church, you're probably going to grow and learn more than a longer period of time at other churches, probably mm-hmm. um, just, just because the word is taught clearly worship is clear and nourishment is way more nurturing. I mean, way, way more uh, fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it might be even, it, it's like a kind of a crude example. Um, if people, if you, if you think, if you've ever been to a bowling alley, and if you, if there's, there's two, there's two types of players in a bowling alley, you know, who those two types of players are. Yeah. The guy Either that shucks it as hard as he can. <laughs> so I'm thinking the ones who, who play with gutters or who play without gutters. Oh, the ones who play yeah. without gutters are risky. They're like, I, I think I can make it. I think I could do this on my own. And then I, I'm one of those guys who thinks he can play without gutters and my game is not very good. But when I have gutters, my game's a whole lot better because I have things bumping it where I can't get outside of this thing. And I think the regular principle of worship, if people can think of kind of a decree, that's probably the best example I can think of where, yes, it seems confining, but it is good to be confining with this. Yeah. It keeps us within these boundaries. This is, this is all God has said. And he said it very specifically. And he's actually said it for your good. He said yeah. it for your good because this is, we need these kinds of boundaries. If we did not have these boundaries, we would be, I mean, we already are the Israelites, but we'd be even more like the Israelites and even more, uh, we'd be pushing the boundaries all over the place. We, we see that in the church where we think, oh, what if we add this? What if we, what if we increase the distance of these gutters a little bit more? I think we can shoot a little bit better than if we had these gutters a little bit closer. So well, I don't these, know that helps people think about some of this stuff. The, this, I just had this conversation the other day with a friend who's going to a church and he's, he's more or less kind of like frustrated with how things are going on uh, another church. But I was saying, you know, just the great thing about our reformed uh, regulative principle of worship and just how things are structured is the guardrails. There's only, it doesn't allow a lot of extra stuff to be even brought to the pulpit to be talked about even by the pastor. He's going to, you know, there's only so much time allowed to do certain things. And, and so, you know, that, that those guardrails are really helpful. Like you were saying, yeah, it's like, it's any job, Drew, I'm sure your job, this is the same, Nick, your job. Um, there's always some sort of guardrails in whatever position we're in. And the second we let those guardrails collapse, that's, that's where, that's where mistakes happen. That's where we think, I, I think yeah. I know a little bit better. And if I, if I increase this distance, I, I think I can shoot a little bit better. And then inevitably at the end, 
your your score's a little bit your score's a little bit worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and I think too, when 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 there's discontent with you know these things, the reason that there's discontent maybe with preaching water, bread, wine, and invocation and mm. a long boring Lord's Prayer is because there is so much zeal without knowledge. Like Paul would say in Romans 10, right, about the Jews who have zeal for God. And I think that we equate zeal and evangelism and fervency for evangelism and zeal with one and the same and thinking God's okay with it as long as our purpose is evangelism. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I think that we got to be careful and say, hey, you know, zeal, zealousness here is definitely good if your zeal is for the gospel and the gospel is getting right. But the, it's not just the message getting the message right here in the church context we're talking about. But we're talking about getting its methods right as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that we're doing that faithfully how God has prescribed. And we, if we do that with zeal, that's good. But zeal without that type of context, I, I think, is, is, is really a big deal. Um, yeah. No matter how zealous we are. I don't, I, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, think that, that makes, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you, you can apply this to so many situations. Yeah even within um, the regular principle of worship where um, yeah, it's God's more concerned with how fervent I worship him than the form I worship him where those two should not be in, in, um, in any type of tension. It should not be either my zeal or the form. I mean, you, you would hope ideally be both, but it's, 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 we have a form because we've been prescribed a form and we can sure be zealous because this is our God. We, we, we worship him. Um, but I mean, also too, it's, it's the simplicity of this. Yeah. It, it seems a little bit less and there's, there's less kind of bells and whistles going on in the service, but it's, and maybe too, it, it could just be a little bit more of like, kind of like a Western American mindset where we think that we got this right. We have the, the coolest worship. And if you go any, like almost anywhere outside of America, outside of a couple of places that are very influenced by America, um, worship looks a lot different than ours. And it usually looks different either culturally contextually or just simplicity and even with just the rpw like you were saying i think this this also does actually open up an opportunity to evangelize and plant where like you don't have hookups for av equipments you don't have hookups for uh fancy video screens you don't have hookups for all these other things it's you if you have a bible you have a little bowl of water you have bread and wine and a salter cost of 50 bucks whatever it may be you have a church you don't want need... more expensive than anything else <laughs> that's right if you want good wine yeah that's yeah. that's more expensive yeah but it's it's it is yeah. it's it's beautiful because a it's it's god's prescribed it this way but i think it maybe in a practical term there might be something to why he did it the way he did it where this crosses cultural bounds we can have people from different contexts, different economic backgrounds, social backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, whatever it may be, worshiping one church because there's less like cultural stuff added to this where you can have people from all walks of life in the same exact worship service, somebody who's from across the world and somebody who lives next door and you're like, they can worship in the same way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, 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 going back to the zeal thing, I think that because I, I wanted to cap that, and I feel like I didn't make it clear. I think the <laughs> issue is is that we're not zealous, or it's it's not that we're not zealous. Yeah. It's that God says when we go to worship. I think when people when we when I think broader Christians outside of Reformed churches, but even in Reformed churches, right? I don't think this is Reformed churches always do this well. I, I think it's a it's a mixed bag at best. 
But at the end of the day, I think people think when they go to worship, there needs to be fervency yeah. and there needs to be the, they associate it with the type of feeling. Uh-huh. I think when they hear what we're saying, they're going to say, man, that does sound cool. And like, mm-hmm. maybe that does sound dry. And I think the, I think the thing here that I would want to kind of point out is that, is that I think you are not zealous enough. Right. Mm-hmm. And that, and that God is saying, Hey, 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 uh, you, you don't actually love me enough. And so let me, let me tell you how zealous I am for you. Mm-hmm. This is how I do it. It's on my terms. Yeah. And so he situates us in a church, right. To give us water, bread, wine, and preaching to do his thing upon our own hearts because we're not zealous enough for him. Mm-hmm. And then he condemns us in the law and, and showers us in the gospel and then we leave and hopefully we're zealous to love our neighbors, knowing that God has forgiven our sins. But yeah, I, the, the, the zeal thing and the feeling thing, I think that God would say, no, 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 you don't have enough feelings for me. You don't mm-hmm. love me enough. You, you, you don't, uh, you know, do all the things that you think that you should do. And, and so the minister is here on my behalf as my ambassador to remind you that's the fact, but then also to pardon your sins. Now watch what happens to your heart when that happens. Mm-hmm. Watch how different you're going to love your neighbor when you do that. And then you can stop worrying about worshiping me with your emotions properly. I don't think God cares about that as much. He's going to reorient our emotions by his means. This is why the regular principle is so important. He is going to situate our emotions and give us the stuff that we need in the goods, what we would call the means of grace. Mm. Um, so I, I, yeah, that, I, I'm sorry. I want to come back to that because no, that's no, that's as I think really right. Yeah, Nick, if you want to add to that, that's that's yeah. that's huge. Yeah, it's not it's not that we don't have fervency. It's our fervency might be misplaced. Misplaced. I was just yeah, gonna say that word. Yeah. Yeah, that's. I think that's that's huge. Yeah, you could be really fervent, but God's like that's that's not where that's not where it's at. It's where it's at is when you worship me, as I told you, that's where. That's where you get this. No, yeah. I, I'm I'm glad Drew mentioned that because it made me it made me kind of think of something too, as far as like the order of well, this way of just worshiping God, just know just the revelation of who God is, just that is grace alone. I mean, that is just a gift right there. And us to even be able to worship and, and him telling us in scripture how to worship is truly grace and truly a gift. So we didn't make up how to worship God. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of churches right now, especially modern, right now seem to be thinking that church and worship is a man-made way of worshiping our God. Mm-hmm. No, it's God's way of telling us how to worship him. Mm-hmm. Because he's our creator. So I think I think just that reminder there was really helpful. And knowing that this isn't, it starts, I think a lot of that like misplaced zealousness as you're talking about, Drew, is like what the advice should be too, is like take ourselves, take our eyes off of ourselves, stop doing that navel gazing thing, fix our eyes on Christ, and I think it's just the beauty is focusing on him and worshiping him his way. I think it'll come out better versus, oh, this is, this doesn't seem right. This doesn't, this doesn't seem, this seems boring. I, I feel like it should be more. So that was good. That was good. Um, yeah, you brought that up. If, just in, in case I forget this, uh, I think this, 
I think this RPW aspect, like how it looks and feels, like how it, it comes down to like how we're worshiping, how it looks, how it feels, and all that in a in in a church service. Um, I think this is the first thing people that people notice when they go to a reformed church. I think it's when they come away, the first aspect they notice, like that was different. I don't know why I don't know how to describe it. And that's what a lot of this conversation comes down to is like this, this is kind of different than other churches in in some ways. And I mean, me, um, I went from a Catholic church to more of a, kind of a Calvinistic non-denominational into the reformed church. And, you know, what I saw is like, yeah, we don't have second commandment violations all over the place, like Catholic church. I mean, it'll keep it real. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, um, so I, I, and I think that in like versus the non-denominational world, there's, I'm like, why, why isn't there any um, really cool looking people up there playing music you know (laughs) you know it's playing the guitar where's where's like the electrical guitar and stuff like that so yeah you don't have images everywhere you don't have extra needed musical equipment um and i think that's when i think of ordinary it kind of removes some of that stuff yeah yeah so well as we maybe as we land land this plane because i gotta get to costco pretty soon and i'm sure you guys have to get back to your families at, at some point um but i think it's will be helpful we, we did this at the very beginning of the season and i think it'd be helpful if our audience probably heard from you two on this question um so I'll, I'll give you time to think about it so it's it's an elevator pitch so if you're if you're talking to one of your friends or one of your families uh, one of your family members, coworker, or whatever, they're going to an evangelical church, whatever it may be. They're not going to a church. Uh, and they, they, they go to your church one day, they go to your church this past Sunday. They talk to you during the week. It's like, man, that was, that was kind of stuffy. That was, that felt like uh that felt too, uh, that t- felt too stiff. I, I kind of want to check out this other church. It feels more lively. They got a lot more programs for my kids. Uh, there's a lot more things that I can do. A lot more programs that, that I can do there's just there's a lot more available to meet these churches and they just do more um or somebody who has never been to a reformed church if, if you were to describe to them um what rpw is and why they should go to a church that follows the rpw how would how would you uh in a minute or less how would you describe or how would you uh how would you try to persuade them hey man come back so nick i'll tackle the second question you can tackle the First, the second question was, how would you prepare somebody to yeah. go to your church? I'd be fair. Asked. Yep. So I'll, I'll, I'll answer that one because I've, I've run a, a, a great amount of, uh, you know, uh, people who are outside of any sort of form context, even yep. non-believers or church. And, and I do want to prepare them because it's just going to be frankly different as, yep. as we know, because of this RPW. And what I talk about is the dialogical principle. I don't use those terms, but it basically will sound like this. I kind of run through the order of service. And the idea here is that we believe that God uses the minister to speak on his behalf as an ambassador. And when God speaks, i.e. invocation, right? Uh, Or we speak and then God responds in the invocation. And then God speaks in the law to us, right? The minister is reading the law. And then we speak our lines in the script, so to say, in repentance, in mm-hmm. faith, and then God announces his declaration of pardon. So what I do is I basically walk them through, this is our order of service, 
to basically say, I want you to understand there's a really logical order here going on. And I want you to understand the heartbeat of all of this is giving us Christ and all of his benefits. Um, Jesus nude, so to say, and all of his benefits is what this liturgy is conspiring to give us. Um, so God speaks, we respond. And so there's two active uh, uh, parties in this. It's our covenant God leading us in worship and speaking and slaying us with the law, confirming us in the gospel, and then us responding in songs of gratitude or confession of sins and faith and repentance. Um, and and uh, that's, that's what I do as I walk them through that dialogue. But I want them to understand at the end of it, what's the theme here? It's Christ and him crucified, and it's simple. And you're going to leave this service saying, I either have faith in him and my sins are forgiven, or I don't, and I've heard his verdict. Hmm. Um, and so that, that, that's, you know, we, yeah. So hopefully that like answers it. it. Yeah. No, that's, I think this is helpful for those who are, um, those of our listeners who may go to a Reformed church and wondering, how do I talk to my friends who've never been to a Reformed church about what to expect coming to reform because the next said this is the big thing that i think people are not are not ready for um so i think it's helpful for them or for people who have never been to one they're like what what should i expect to listen to you like oh okay maybe that's that's helpful a little bit so nick um somebody who's been to a church your church so they let's say they came this past sunday like man that was that was too stuffy i need to go back to my church i'm gonna go back to this big mega church in the area that's it's a lot cooler does a lot more stuff has a lot more programs my kids have a lot more people that they can meet with um, they just, they got a lot more stuff from me. How would you, like, what would you say to them to say, Hey, like, let's, let's think about this a little bit more, um, uh, about the difference, but also maybe you should come back this Sunday and experience this again. Oh man, I'm trying to think I, I'm saying something really cool, profound, or at least as good as Drew said, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think it would be, I, I think in versus an elevator pitch, hopefully we we're taking the stairs at this point and I give <laughs> some time for the conversation, right? Yeah, an elevator, well, thank you. the emergency stop button is like, let's, we got, we got to have some time. <laughs> I, I think, I think I would, I think I would want some clarification, ask them some questions um, and just say, just start off like really wanting to know, did you hear the gospel? I mean, I really want to know, did you feel like you heard the gospel? Because, and the, not only that, the law gospel distinction, um, which I think is missing in so many uh, churches today. So based on that answer, I could also know, you know, what, do, why, why do you need to add, why do you need to go uh, experience something more, maybe flashy or something that's added um, when you're actually taking away or watering down what's most needed. Hmm. So I think I, I, you know, and I would just kind of go back to like the, this form of worship, this regulative principle of worship is here for a reason. Give it time. Um, I would try to be empathetic as possible. But like, you know, um, I get it. I, I, I get it. I've been to other churches too. Like sometimes the, the service does seem more exciting. And, um, the music is energy energizing and maybe you do feel, um, responses of feelings and euphoria and whatnot. But I think if you give it time, because the reformed church is so much different than what we're used, used to in culture, especially in this modern technology time, 
if you give it time, it's beautiful. It's extremely beautiful in an ordinary way. And I think you'll start loving the, the ordinary part of it more um, because I think the most important thing is like on Lord's day, you're hearing the law gospel distinction clearly. And you are having a dialogue with God in a clear way. You have the rest of the week to go to some fun concert. <laughs> I like, and, yeah. And and when we're in, when we're talking about music, I think the music we sing is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It is. I think it, it it gets the point. I've appreciated more and more as time's going on. Is like this is like biblical. Like it feels like we're really singing to God versus contemporary music that might even be Christian. It just kind of feels more. Um, loud and exciting this is more of like it feels more of a reverence to it so I'm surprised we've talked about the regular principle of worship this whole time and it's like an hour in and music was just brought up for the first time yeah, um, i'm impressed i'm impressed because we actually have an episode devoted to the music during the sermon i'm glad i didn't talk about that <laughs> yeah we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna talk about psalms hymns and spiritual songs what is paul talking about with spiritual songs what what should we sing in church yeah i wouldn't you guys also encourage the the listeners to realize that this regular principle thing is actually not just presbyterian um there are particular baptists out there that hold this and i praise god for that just like i praise god that they have confessions and they know what they believe they know why they believe it they're confessional they have the rpw a difference on the on the, the, the means of grace in particular aspects, but there are faithful churches out there that are outside of the Presbyterian oh, yeah. camp that, yeah. that hold this, which I, I, I want to encourage, you know, yeah. for somebody there who's not a Presbyterian, it's like, man, praise God, go to those churches because they're going to give you Jesus and all of his benefits just as much or just as well as the reformed church down the street, sometimes maybe even better. So. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for underlining that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So it, it sounds like before we, before we end this, um, it sounds so those who are wondering, what do I tell my friend who's never been, um, what the Reformed Church is like, sounds like kind of moving them along in an easy to understand way, what the service is going to look like. So at least when they come in and they see some of these terms, it's not brand new. Like, what are we doing? They've already been explained some of this stuff. So it's 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 an easier walkthrough, not not so shocking on the front end. Um, and it sounds like for Nick, if, they're, if they've been to a service and like, I, I want to go back, it's maybe more so like asking questions, getting to the heart of the matter, figuring out what's really important about the service versus maybe what's the fluff around the service. What should we be looking for in the service? And I think those are, those are probably two really helpful distinctions for people who are thinking through these things on how do I talk to my friends or if they're not part of a reformed church, what, like, what do I expect? What, what, like, what does this place look like when I walk into the service, which we're hoping to do with season four. It's, it's after you've listened to the entirety of season four, we're about halfway through it now. Um, at least you have categories walking into the church versus what tends to be walking in blind, which that's really hard. And I think we have to acknowledge it's really hard to walk in blind to a, a reformed church and not knowing what you're walking into. It, it could be kind of like a, a, a train coming at you. Like I, I was not expecting that. If, if I was expecting anything, was not, I was not expecting that. Um, so maybe as, as we close this out, if any, any parting words, any encouragements for those who are listening we're thinking through some of these things, wrestling through some of these concepts and wondering, man, what, what do I want out of a church? What is a church? What does God say about a church? So any, any parting um, helpful comments or just encouragements for those who are listening? 
Yeah, for me, uh, I mean, before I kind of get to some words of advice, there there were some aspects to this conversation. I think it was a great conversation. Um, and uh, there's some things that I was going to bring up as far as just historical debates and whatnot, like with Zwingli and the Anabaptists and how the Anabaptists kind of looked at things differently with their RPW. Um, but uh, we can talk about that on a different episode for sure. So just in case you listeners were kind of wondering when that was going to come out. Um, as far They're as hiding from Zwingli and Anabaptism, um, mm-hmm. that was that was the forefront of their mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, the hardcore reform people were like, oh, I'm, I, I think I'm going to hear about that. But um, we'll have another episode. We'll talk about that. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it just goes back to remembering this is Jesus's church. This isn't our church. We it's grace enough that we're a part of the church and we it's grace that he's given us the ability to know how to worship him. That alone gives us reverence and humility. And um, I think it just points back to Sola Scriptura. I mean, this is church is God's house. And, you know, um, I can't go into either one of your guys's houses and tell you how to run your family or what, how to make your house look. And so how much more can we not do that to our, our creator, our God, we can't go into his worship and in his house and, and tell him um, how to do things. We have to do, we have to do things based on scripture, how he tells us to worship him. And so that would be my encouragement and just stop focusing on the world. Stop focusing on ourselves. Stop thinking that we need to manufacture and manifest some cool new thing. Stop cherry picking um, things that you think that are going to be nice and throw out things that you think aren't going to work. Um, I think God is infinitely wise. So just trust him and give it time. You're, you're going to love it. Yeah. All I'd say is, is when you read all of Jesus's um, rebukes to the Pharisees, when he talks about them creating commandments um, as a, you know, the traditions of man's as if the commandments of God, and those harsh words that he has for them, this is the same concept when it comes to worship. And so just as we would be really careful to encourage other Christians not to make up rules for the Christian life that God didn't make up, such as don't drink, don't chew, don't go with girls who do, right? That whole saying, that would be a man-made commandment, right? And we would encourage brothers and sisters not to bind consciences outside of the word of God. So we'd also encourage brothers and sisters not to worship God as he hasn't prescribed for that same principle, making something up. And when you're making something up, you're pleasing yourself and you're not pleasing the God who created you and redeemed you in Christ. That's the key. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. So hopefully this is a helpful conversation for those. And I know we didn't cover everything. We're just trying to kind of broad brush over some of these concepts and the biblical mandates and what this looks like, what this doesn't look like, how it might be different from kind of evangelical churches broadly, what kind of to expect when you're walking to a service, um, where we get some of these terms from, who talked about it, where does this come from, is this historically grounded or accurate, where do we find this in the Bible, how does the Old Testament, New Testament talk, so we talked about some of these things kind of broad base, and do you guys want to go into our show notes, some, some of the books and resources we have, you guys can get a little bit further deeper into some of these things. Like, oh, this is this is interesting. I'm gonna go into this topic a little more. We'll have all that stuff and, and next showing on our, our YouTube um, YouTube video too. So yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed this. And um, this will kind of kick off a little bit more. So the last few episodes we, we've talked about the marks of the church. So preaching, 
ministering the sacraments and church discipline. Uh, and this one's going to go a little bit more towards, okay, how's the church actually structured? Uh, so we've, we've gone through a lot of the theoretical aspects and kind of the elements of the church. Uh, and then next week, like we, we've already talked about, we'll have um, Adriel Sanchez on to talk about a reformed liturgy. So how, so we've talked about the regular principle of worship. So how, how and why is it the service ordered the way it is? We'll talk about worship. We'll talk about governments. We'll talk about all this stuff, but yeah, thanks. Thanks Drew for being a kind of a, a late add to this episode. It's, it's, it's a pleasure having three hosts now on this, on this episode. Maybe we'll have you on again soon to be our, uh, yeah. our pick hitter. I, I, uh, I had a blast guys. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I apologize on behalf of your audience that they had to hear me, but no, just, don't, just don't take yeah. my job from me. I think you did really good. You did good. But yeah. So people are, yeah, I don't know if they're going to look up your name or whatever. They'll, they'll, they'll figure out who's this, who's this true guy? Who, who's what books did he write? He's, he's good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to look up a uh, Drew Dill and they're going to see there's an oncology uh, doctor in Tennessee. It's, it's <laughs> Um, that's not me I'm, I'm even more in, uh, obscure than that and so yeah. I'd be impressed if they could find me and uh, <laughs> probably won't not being on social media so that's a good cool. thing so yeah cool no, all right guys yeah, thank yeah. you so much yeah thanks for doing this and um, I'm sure you'll see Nick again on Sunday so yep. I'm sure we'll uh, we'll keep in contact and who knows maybe we'll call you up for uh, another pinch hit pretty soon yeah sounds good pleasure meeting you Peter take care Nick see you soon yep. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a, a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and, and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision making process for episodes for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them, instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you wanna do. As part of that, we have a goal to get about $1,000 a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment, and just hire some people as well. And also, if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, This is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.